Hi, Juliet here with a quick message before this episode starts. Everything you need to be more strategic amid the busyness of the school term is contained in the 170 plus episodes of this podcast. But sometimes you can get there a bit faster with some personalised help. I host a termly online workshop specifically designed to help the support staff within schools to make the shift from being reactive to strategic. Our next workshop is coming up soon and we're going to be reflecting on how things have gone this academic year and strategising for the academic year to come so that you can confidently prioritise your workload, overcome the obstacles that are holding you back and redirect your time and focus onto your priorities. At the end of the session, I promise you're going to be feeling more energised, ready to hit the ground running with a clear plan of action. This term's workshop is going to be run on Thursday the 16th of May, and you can find out more and book your place at www.consultjuliet.co.uk slash plan. I hope to see you there. Now, let's launch into this episode. So, Emma, we are seeing disaster strike again the natural fair cats I, I love the way in your your article this isn't actually a disaster of the natural kind this is a mm. man-made disaster by one particular individual in, in in particular um we are seeing an outpouring of of people who want to help it's human nature isn't it we see people suffering and we want to help for sure yeah we want to do good we want to help with i think we're all angry yes and desperate to act and just do something yeah Welcome to the Independent School Podcast. Thinking and acting strategically is the key to both securing the future of your school and helping to build a more equal and just world. My name's Juliette Corbett. I'm a consultant, speaker and facilitator specialising in helping independent schools. In this podcast, I translate tried and tested strategy and fundraising techniques into a language that works for schools. So if you're a senior leader in a private school and you want your daily work to feel less exhausting and more strategic, and if you want once more to feel the joy of making the world a better place through education, then you're in the right place. Welcome and let's get started on this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this second episode in our mini-series about how to respond to the invasion of Ukraine. And in this episode, we are focusing on how we can help the people who are being directly impacted by this horrendous war. Now, as I knew I wanted to cover this, I also wanted to bring in a voice, a very experienced voice from the not-for-profit sector, the much wider charity sector. So I'm joined on this in this conversation today by Emma Inslee. Now, I've known Emma for some time and I've really respected the work that she does. She is an international consultant and trainer and she helps charities and social enterprises to achieve a sustained impact by really honing their ability to monitor, evaluate and measure their impact so that they can then communicate that to their potential donors and funders and as well improve their own services. She's got a great depth of experience across all different fields of the charity sector and her clients have included World Animal Protection, Surfers Against Sewage, Young Lives Versus Cancer and Parkinson's UK. Now I've known Emma for some time 
And just about a week ago now, one of her social media posts came up on my feed and it really caught my attention because what I had been doing at that point was, yes, I was making a a financial donation to um, the charities who are trying to help the people in Ukraine, but I was also in the process of packing up a box of clothing and blankets to send out through a local appeal, a network of people who was uh, working on a, a, a van load that was going to Poland to help the people of Ukraine. And it felt like I was doing something good. And as I read the post and the article that Emma had written, I will link to that article in the episode notes here so you can look at it directly yourself. I realized that maybe I wasn't acting as responsibly as I should be, as rationally as I should be. And it's made me question not the motives of people who are trying to help by boxing up gifts in kind. The motives are absolutely from the heart, trying to help the people of Ukraine. But when we turn on our rational brain, we think through how that actually impacts on the ground. And Emma's point of view about how we should be focusing on giving financial donations rather than gifts in kind really resonates with me. Now, I know that schools are taking different approaches on this. There is no complete right or wrong, but this is a point of view that I would like you to consider as you are planning how your school is going to respond to this crisis. Before we dive into the detail, I wanted to let you know about a free resource I've created to help you prepare your school for the coming economic impact of the invasion of Ukraine. It's a checklist of things you need to think about and take action on now, and it's designed to prompt strategic conversations around the issues that actually matter. You can download your free copy at www consultjuliet.co.uk slash checklist. Okay, now let's continue with this week's episode. So hello, Emma, and welcome to the Independent School Podcast. Thank you. Welcome. Hello. So Emma, we are seeing disaster strike again. The natural fair cats, I, I love the way in your, your article, this isn't actually a disaster of the natural kind. This is a mm. man-made disaster by one particular individual in, in in particular um we are seeing an outpouring of of people who want to help it's human nature isn't it we see people suffering and we want to help for sure yeah we want to do good we want to help with I think we're all angry yes and desperate to act and just do something yeah yeah absolutely and what I find really interesting so when I was starting to see my social media fill up with not just kind of requests for for money donations but requests for things gifts in kind winter clothes blankets etc etc um I responded I packed up a box and sent it off in fact a couple of boxes both to Poland and to to Romania and then I saw your post on LinkedIn was where I spotted it first and your article where you're talking about the fact that that's not such a great idea and I have to admit I didn't know about this but I'm fascinated to talk to you on the podcast so that schools can understand why giving kind of stuff in these crises isn't actually a great idea. Tell me your thinking behind this. Yeah, well, I think it really helps actually to frame it as stuff, um, mm. actually, um, because not a lot of it is um, exactly what is needed at the time. And so, so first of all, the Polish government said on the 1st of uh, March, please do not send any more gifts in kind, i.e. stuff. Please mm-hmm. send donations to registered humanitarian um, agencies. And the reason for that is it typically 
clogs up the disaster or the humanitarian response. So if you just sort of take a moment to think about it, and the first thing I would suggest that that schools do is, and, and heads do, is just detach themselves from those feelings, because actually I think we need to take a very logical decision about this. Um, and um, and think about like how we can make the biggest difference. Yeah. So when you detach yourself from those feelings, which I understand is like, you know, it's a hard thing to do because I'll be honest with you, Juliet, I've been there as well. You know, I, I packed up my stuff to go to Calais some time ago. Yeah. But this is why I won't ever do that again. So as I say, the, the Polish government has said no more because it really disrupts the humanitarian relief. Mm-hmm. So if you just take a moment to think about the time, the cost and the effort of transporting all of this stuff, like a thousand miles, is it? I don't know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. All of the border checks that are, that are required that it has to go through, bearing in mind there is no longer free movement of goods from the um, UK to the EU. Mm-hmm. So there has to be accompanying paperwork. I am hearing stories not verified of um, vans being sent back because mm-hmm. they don't have the correct paperwork and because there's not a monetary value to those goods being exported necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then think at the other side. So there's, you know, the 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 uh, the volunteers and the officials are, you know, trying to provide that um, humanitarian relief. And meanwhile, they have to unload vans, store the stuff, sort it and then distribute it when all of that stuff has like within the first few days was given typically I think by those local more local border countries and so yeah you know there's definitely I've seen a lot of um news coming out of new Ukraine um and Poland to say you know we don't need any more clothes for example mm-hmm. um and so the, all of that stuff then becomes surplus to requirements and a challenge to store yeah. And quite a lot of the humanitarian response to these situations, it, there's a lot of logistics involved. I mean, I guess there's money needed, et cetera, et cetera, but it is a complex logistical nightmare to get the right things to the right people. And when you're dealing with that in the pallet load, that's got to be so much more efficient than dealing with van loads of mixed goods arriving at various different points, various different times. You've got no idea what's on its way. I can imagine it's just quite chaotic. Exactly. Uh, there's um, a humanitarian expert uh, called Dale Herzog. Um, he's a, logist- a humanitarian logistic expert, and he calls it the disaster within the disaster. Mm. He refers to it as providing, you know, it's it's chaos when there is already chaos, and that's not what is needed at that time. And so it's really important, I think, just to, you know, take a moment and think about the the how to simplify those logistics and not add chaos where there is already you know a a, a, a man-made um disaster yeah yeah and I think that that if you're very close to a disaster in the like first 24 48 hours you can see how that's helpful because the the disaster relief kind of agencies haven't managed to get on the ground immediately but then that the usefulness of that quite quickly deteriorates into unhelpful chaos as you mentioned and I think I find it fascinating that when I read your article and I will share that in the episode notes so that others come back and read Emma's article on this um this isn't the first time this has happened the disasters all over the world that we've been seeing of all different types where this just clogs up the humanitarian response so Emma tell us what we should be doing what should schools be focusing on if we're not appealing for winter clothing and packing up vans to head across to Poland 
My recommendation is to raise and send cash to a yeah. registered humanitarian agency. Yeah. Um, you may already, you know, be linked to um, an, uh, an organisation that is already on the ground, um, you know, registered um, charity or human aid agency. Yeah. You may already be linked to them. They would be, you know, great, um, grateful, I'm sure, to receive um, donations in cash. Yeah. Um, but if not, if you don't have that and you're not sure who to give, then I would recommend the Disasters Emergency Committee, DEC. You know, they're a, they're a collection of um, 15 age agents, aid agencies who are already operating on the ground and able to scale up. And crucially, they're able to buy what's needed, where it's needed, when it's needed, and distribute it to who needs it. Yeah, absolutely. And for if you're listening from outside of the UK, then there will be a similar organisations or the um, organisations, the charities that you can give to you within your country, potentially with your own tax relief as well. So to make sure you kind of interpret what we're saying as being appropriate within the country that you're listening to. But if you're in the UK, absolutely. The Disasters Emergency Committee is, is a great place to start. Um, and some schools will have links already through to specific other agencies which are helping on the ground as well. So do continue those relationships you already have. The sure. final question I have for you, Emma. So there is also a tendency, and we've seen this in other disasters. Actually, I remember seeing this at the beginning of the pandemic or all the way through the pandemic as well, to some extent, which is a sense that we want to do good. We want to give to the to the charities that are helping with the thing that's most um, obvious on the news in that moment which is obviously a, a wonderful human instinct to help but we also need to continue helping those other charities that are maybe even become to rely on our support so if your school is fundraising for another chosen charity of the year or something the pupils have voted on another local charity might be a hospice or a children's charity whatever it is if you've been supporting them in recent years please don't stop don't switch your efforts just to disaster emergency relief those other charities are relying on your support as well and those problems haven't gone away um emma what's your experience in this area is this something that you've seen and are worried about as well well i think it's really important for anybody or um organization or school who's giving money to you know um be mindful of the need that operates locally nationally and internationally and yeah. to um, you know, distribute money as resources allow to help resolve that problem. And those problems, you know, in the UK, for example, schools are supporting a local hospice, those problems don't go away. And so I think um, in times like this, people are more generous, they, they are happy to give more. And I, so I would you know, if you can afford it, highly recommend that schools encourage, um, you know, parents and, and other um, groups that they may be networked with, if they can, to give more, not to switch their donations yeah. away from other areas where, you know, they're providing, you know, a, a money that it's used to solve real problems. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm going to be covering this in a future episode in a lot more detail, but the same applies where schools are fundraising, especially for things like bursaries and partnerships programmes with state schools, those social mobility needs still exist as well. So please don't be tempted to, to feel that your own cause, if you're doing social good, your own cause can stand alongside these other calls for help. And um, I'll be doing another episode um, coming up in the next couple of weeks with a bit more information specifically around schools fundraising for those types of projects. 
Thank you so much for your time, Emma. I think from my point of view, just one final thought. It almost feels too easy. It feels like Mm. I'm being let off the hook just to click on a link and make a donation Mm. to whichever charity is I'm connected to. So I did did mine through through the DEC. Um, In actual fact, that is what's needed, isn't it? (laughs) It felt more fulfilling somehow to be filling that box than to be clicking that link. Is that human nature, do you think? I think it is. And I've actually, you know, I've had a great response from my my post and my blog. And the thing that I hear most is it it feels somehow impersonal to give money to a large um, humanitarian organisation. You know, whereas if you're, you know, you're giving your coats that maybe that your children are wearing and you remember them in those coats and you then imagine... um, you know, people, uh, you know, refugees fleeing um, war in Ukraine, yeah. wearing those coats, and you you have that association in your mind. And this is where, you know, I just said earlier on, I think it's important to de- somehow, if we can, detach those feelings of, um, uh, you know, th- those feelings attached to yeah. that stuff. Yeah. From the desire to do good, yeah, because we can do more good, have a much bigger ripple effect, helping so many more people by um, giving cash donations. Yeah, and so I, I, it's it is human nature, but I would just wholeheartedly encourage people to think about donations based on the need not how it makes us feel yeah so the donation is triggered by an emotional response in ourselves then we switch yeah. our rational brain on to brain on to decide how we can have the best impact and then act on that thank you so sure. much emma it's been fantastic to have you with us here today thank you for your, your time and your, your advice you're welcome thanks everybody thanks for listening to the independent school podcast the podcast that helps senior leaders in private schools to think and act more strategically, both because they want to secure the future of their school and because they want to help build a more equal and just world. You can listen in everywhere that podcasts are available. And if you want to catch up on previous episodes or follow any of the links that I've mentioned today, just head over to www.consultjuliet.com co.uk slash podcast.